and I saw two black spheres, and I watched them zip in and out of the clouds, and then one of them went way to the left, and then they came back together, and they both went into the clouds. They don't travel like we think of travel. There's a reason that that disc looked so like it wasn't moving, because it really wasn't moving. She looked at me, and she sticks her arm out, and she points at that hole with a very strong finger, and she goes, and there's nothing you can do about it. Now, this was 1996, in the spring, and it wasn't until 2006, after I left my hometown and moved to L.A. and worked in the film industry and da 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 had weird things happen there, I uh, left L.A. and moved to Sedona, Arizona, uh, which is where I lived before I moved here. Um, but I moved to Sedona, Arizona, and in 2006, I started really going into kind of deep meditations. I was just doing kind of deep meditations. And one day, I was looking at the, the message. That's what, that's what I called it, the message. I was looking at the message, and all of a sudden, one symbol, there's a spiral in it. And at the one spiral, I looked at it, and I suddenly went, wait a minute, this feels like it's related to Chaco Canyon. Now, you know, are you familiar with Chaco Canyon? Uh-huh, yeah. So I've been to Chaco Canyon a number of times and um, have had some very bizarre experiences there, which probably are more in the supernatural realm. But um, there is a probably one of the most unique and complex archaeo-paleo calendars in the world is in Chaco Canyon. Um, it is bizarrely unique. So I don't know if you know anything about how most paleo calendars work, but it's usually based on, you know, the sunrise on the horizon lined up with stones or something like Stonehenge, you know, that kind of thing. Right. Um, or the, the bighorn medicine wheel, which, you know, seems to track certain stars and, and, and the summer solstice and that kind of thing. This calendar that's in Chaco Canyon is bizarre to the extreme in that, uh, it was discovered on the summer solstice, you know, rediscovered on the summer solstice by a woman who was there. She was just doing a photographic, like art photographic survey of Chocolate Canyon. And she hiked up to the top of Fajada Butte and found this structure. And it was basically three slabs, three stone slabs that are leaning against uh, a rock wall. And they're big slabs. And they're slightly, they're, they're um, slightly tilted to the side. And there's gaps in between them. Well, she saw those and it looked, you know, like something man-made. And she looked underneath it and she just happened to arrive at the perfect, you know, right around noon. And as she, she went up and looked underneath it and carved into the wall under these three stab, uh, those slabs was a spiral with 19 turns on it. And then the little spiral to the left, upper left above it. And as she approached, she got there with noon, she looked and watched as this dagger of light came down and pierced right through the center of the spiral and then receded straight back up. Now, if you know anything about doing that with the sun, that's a very mathematically complicated thing that, to pull off, to make it so that you can consistently make a dagger of light at noon come down and cut through the center of a spiral. That's fairly complex. Well, then, she noted, though, that it was the summer solstice. And later, she went back, because she also noticed that there were 19 turns on the spiral. And she immediately said, okay, something's going on here. It's weird. The timing was weird. So they came back. They brought a, a, a research team back 
and they came back for the autumn equinox. And on the autumn equinox, <laughs> two daggers of light came down on the autumn equinox on the sides of the spiral. Wow. Right? Now, we've already got a summer solstice and an autumn equinox, right? Right. Well, then they checked again at the winter solstice, and the, the dagger came down through the center again, but this time there was a little mark. Um, there was the, the little, a little dagger went into the side, you know, the, the little side spiral. So they started going, okay, something's going here. Came back on the, the spring equinox, and it was the two daggers on the side with the one little dagger up through the little spiral. So I just wanted to want you to understand the level of sophistication of the calendar already, because that, you know, if you take variations in the, in the Earth's orbit and all sorts of things, to maintain that level of accuracy over hundreds of years is pretty remarkable. Oh, but it gets better. So I don't know if you know this or not, but the orbit of the moon around the Earth, the orbit itself, not the, not the rotation of the moon, but the orbit itself has a wobble in it. And it's a 10 degree wobble. So it goes 10 degrees or five degrees to the south and then to the, from the center and then five degrees to the north. The wobble does well. That creates a basically it's a it's a um, 18, 18.65 year cycle of the moon moving, and it changes where the moon comes up over a period of time on the horizon. Well, it turns out that it's eighteen point six five years, and there were nineteen turns on the spiral. In other words, they she had a suspicion. So they actually did an, an further research and realized that if you go there on the full moon, dagger of light moves across and tells you what it tells you what year you're in of the cycle because a dagger of light will go on the turn of the spiral of the year that it is. Wow, that's any idea how complex that is? <laughs> yeah, that is so precise. That's a level of, of mathematical. Uh, you know, people go, oh, they just observed it over a period of time. Yes, but to make a mechanical device that would use the noon position of the of the moon and the noon position of the sun to mark all both equinoxes and both solstices and the 19 year cycle of the moon all in daggers of light between three slabs leaning against a wall incredibly sophisticated yeah that's unbelievable that's anyway so, cool. so the little spiral in the message i went huh i just had this weird vibe so this is 2006 so i started looking up and it turned out that 2006 was what's called a lunar standstill year. What the lunar standstill is, is that when the moon is going through this cycle and it reaches you know, either the farthest north position or the farthest south position, when it reaches the farthest north or farthest south, the farthest north is called um, a major standstill and the farthest, uh, farthest north is a major standstill, farthest south is a minor standstill. Well, it's a standstill. In other words, there's a period of time there for, you know, over the course of a year, a little more than a year, where the moon appears not to be moving because it's, it's between moving one way and then moving the other way. So it, it stops and then starts to go back, right? Does that make sense? Yeah. Okay. So it turned out that 2006 was a lunar standstill year. And so just on a whim, I went, well, wait a minute, that's 18.65 years. So it's been 18.65 years since the moon was in this position and doing this. So I char started charting back. <laughs> I was born on a major standstill year. When the thing happened when I was nine, it was a minor standstill year. When the thing, when I got the message, it was a minor standstill year. 
what I realized is they were visiting me on intervals so that I would understand the cycle. Wow. They were demonstrating the cycle to me because that was part of the information they were relaying. And there was there were other things that happened in other standstill periods, but it goes basically it went, you know, 19, I was born in 68, 68 so the standstill cycle was 68, 69. And it's interesting to note that that was a lunar stance, that was a um, major standstill year, and 69 was, and two things happened in 1969 of great import. One was, well, at least according to popular opinion, we walked on the moon. That was one thing that happened. The other thing was Woodstock. So there were two major cultural events that happened that year that were of great significance to the people at the time. Well, the, the 1978 lunar standstill was actually 77, 78. What happened in 77? Close Encounters and Star Wars. Two movies that changed the culture. Very rarely do you get movies that literally change the culture. Those two movies did. And it's like, people don't think about the significance of it because you, your entire life has been in the context of a post-Star Wars world. But I remember the pre-Star Wars world. Right. And that was a huge culture-shaking film. I mean, it changed the way people thought. Yeah. So, so a couple epiphanies that I've had 
It's about how they travel. They don't travel like we think of traveling. There's a reason that that disc looked so like it wasn't moving, because it really wasn't moving. They find experiential intersections. They travel streams of probability, possibility and probability. There's an ocean of possibility, and they follow the streams of probability that happen, you know, in the context of that. What they were showing me, the, the whole thing of the, the star field, it wasn't stars. Those were intersections. They were showing me how they travel. They were showing me these are, each one of those stars represents an experiential intersection. And they have some kind of, I hate to use the word technology, because that thing, the disc, it's not a ship. It's like, it's a piece of technology that's like a room that they can follow streams of probability and find intersections and then have interactions inside of, you know, I, it, it's a little hard to explain. But, no, but you're making you're making but, sense. Uh, it's like mind blowing. Like holy uh, cow, you're you're making sense. It's mind blowing. This thing is everything you're saying makes sense. But it, yeah, it's that's wild. So the significance is that you know I said they were. Remember I said that the screens were basically arranged in in a hexagonal shape mm-hmm. inside the dome. Um, there is a lot of geometry that has to do with equilateral triangles with hexagons and with tetrahedrons, which are basically three-dimensional, you know, they're, they're, they're equilateral triangle pyramids. I mean, the, the, the geometry goes on and on. But what the conclusion, the only logical conclusion I can come to is that the reason seven of them walked into my room is because I was the eighth. There's a, there's a whole sophisticated, if you take, so if I say tetrahedron, you know what a tetrahedron is? Yeah. Okay. In theoretical mathematics, a tetrahedron actually projects its own opposite tetrahedron, a, t- a second tetrahedron that's opposite, that's interwoven through it. And it's, it's because each side is an equilateral triangle with a center, and then, of course, there are points. And if you, if you take a point and run a line from a point through the center of the tetrahedron out through the center of the adjacent triangle, it will start forming the opposite tetrahedron going the other way and is the basis of a theoretical mathematical construct called a hypersphere. And the fundamental idea is that every sphere, in other words, every sphere, the planet, Earth, every sphere is actually a hypersphere, which means that this realm that we live on here, that we take for granted, this is our Earth, right? There's a second Earth that's here that is almost like an antimatter opposite of it. There's another realm here based on that mathematics those mathematics and there was a guy at one point that was very interested in this his name was Hoagland and he said he was very much a a, a proponent of the idea of the earth being a hypersphere but all planets suns everything being hyperspheres and so he said at one point he goes well I predict something he goes the truth is we have gaseous giants you know Saturn and Neptune and Uranus and, and Jupiter are all gaseous planets right well if gaseous planets are hyperspheres then we should see evidence at the poles, at the pole of a gaseous planet, there should be a hexagonal shape around the pole. He predicted that. And when the, when I think it was Voyager, one of them went over the pole of Saturn, it had a hexag, it has a hexagonal pole. Wow. Wow. Go look up photos, go look up photos of the, of the, of the Northern, you know, of the, the axis pole of Saturn and you'll see it. It's we'll check big. It out. And apparently, it goes the opposite direction of the rest of the planet. It's rotating in the opposite direction oh, of the wow. rest of the planet. 
Wow. So the, 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 the reason I bring that up is that let's go into the numbers for just a second. So seven beings come into my room, right? Well, let's arrange them geometrically. It's four females. Well, that's one tetrahedron that's opposite, right? If you think of it energetically, mm-hmm. it's opposite of the males. The male is a father figure and two children, right? Right. With me, that makes a second tetrahedron. So it's a male-female tetrahedron paradigm, which means it's exactly what they were describing. And what that creates is two points, a top, a top and a bottom pole. If you put it on, if you put it on its points, like stand it upright on its points, you'll have a top point and a bottom point, and then you'll have six points around the outside. In other words, it's a hexagon with a central pole through it. And so what I suspect is, and I'm going to be very bold on your, on your podcast and say this, I'm one of them. What it is is that I think what they do, I think the way that this works is when they find an experiential intersection, for example, the earth, right, is, an, is a hypersphere, and a hypersphere, by definition, is an experiential intersection between two tetrahedrons. So if, it, if, if, if it's right, but it's a hypersphere, then that means it's two, it's a, it is a grand intersection. So this is an intersection, this is an experiential intersection. And the way that they explore experiential intersections is they take one of them and have one of them be born as a human or as a whatever. It just happens to be human here. So then, and I've always felt this way too. I'm a tourist, Robin. <laughs> I've always felt like a tourist. I'm like, I'm here going, okay, oh, this is interesting. Look at what these, look at, look at what these fun monkeys are doing. This is fantastic. Um, look at all the fun stuff they do. But the thing that they've been, they've been trying to do is make sure that I don't get lost in the human experience to the point that I don't remember why I'm here. So I think that's what these communications have been about is to make sure that I remember where I came from and why I'm here. That's unbelievable. That's so cool. I, so I wonder if, uh, and I, I'm sure that there's going to be more then. There's going to be a lot more to this because you're probably not done learning, you know, um, what they're trying to tell you. Oh, but, no. So you're, you're, you're going to have more of these types of experiences if you haven't already with these things. And, geez, that is crazy. That is, I'm just mind blown right now. I'm sitting here, you know, just sh- totally shocked. But it's everything you're saying is like... It, it makes sense, you know, because I know I've, I don't know you personally in, on a personal level, but you know, even my interactions with you in the past and stuff, you you are a very um, unique person, you know. I guess is the best way I would say it. You, you, unique in, in the most positive way. No, I mean it in the most positive way. You're unique, you know, and and I was I'm I liked I'm drawn to a lot of those kind of people, um, and so it, uh, I don't know. It, it's just it was. I, it was apparent to me that you're a, a different kind of person, you know, and, and what you're saying is kind of tying into that. Well, and just as a side note, and I appreciate that, as a side note, I also have a good many other kinds of experiences, and I, I wouldn't be surprised to find out if part of the reason that I have the kind of experiences that I have is because I'm essentially an intersection. So, in other words... The experiences that, you know, I, I shared uh, on ghost adventures and the experiences that I had at the old shop and the experiences that I've had with um, beings approaching me in, in a dream. And, and there are some that are just completely dreams. Do you have a minute for me to tell you one s- s- 
short story? Please, please. Oh, okay. So... In 1998, the fall of 98, I moved to L.A. to pursue my dream of, you know, working in film. And I'd been there for some time, like, you know, it was through the, because it was fall of 98 that I got there. And then it was sometime in the early 99 that uh, I had this very vivid, very real dream. But I'll have these other kinds that are incredibly vivid. They're very real. I, I, I wake up surprised that I am where I am because the dream is so real. Does that make sense? Yeah. So I uh, had a dream with, and my, my wife at the time was with me in the dream and was at rebar. Like there'd been, you know, a, a, a city there that had just been annihilated. Yeah. And there, and, and there was nearby, there was this building, remnants of a building. It was a two story building that had had, um, you know, the old fashioned buildings where there was the shop downstairs and then the resident up, residence upstairs, you know, but yeah. you, you lived above the shop. It was one of those kind of buildings, but, and it wasn't very big, you know, it was probably, I don't know, maybe 50 feet wide and a hundred feet deep and two stories tall and maybe not even a hundred feet, more like 80. Um, but there was a hole that had punched, been punched through the side of it. So it was like a big hole, like 10 10 feet in diameter. Wow. Like literally someone had shot a rocket or something through the, you know, through the building, uh, toward the front. And I was having this experience. I was very aware that there was something else there. I didn't feel safe at all. And I felt like there was some other being something else there that I couldn't see that was very dangerous and threatening to me. And it almost like I kept getting glimpses out of, of it, out of the corner of my eye. It was just moving very fast. And it kept trying to get behind me. And I, you know, I don't know if you know this, but there is a long-standing belief about the, 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 you know, the base of your skull where your skull meets your spine. Mm-hmm. That that's a that is a supernatural entry point, right? If something's going to possess you, that's where it's going to possess you. Which kind of freaked me out in the movie The Matrix because yeah. it was like that's basically what they were suggesting. <laughs> it's like that's how you entered the matrix as I stuck a thing in the back of your skull. Right. Well, and I knew that that's what this thing was trying to do. It was trying to get behind me because it was trying to get access to the base of my skull at the top of my spine. And I went, okay, uh, 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 and I was turning my head and I was like, you are not getting me. You are not doing this. And I turned to my wife and said, uh, let's go in the building. Let's, I, we, I, I feel really exposed out here. At least if we're in the building, we can get our back to a wall or something. And then, you know, be able to be more defensive. Right. So we go inside, we go inside, and all that's left of the second floor is a little bit at the back of the building, probably like, I don't know, 12, 15 feet of the second floor is still there, intact at the back of the floor, but otherwise it's just open. So clearly this thing punched through, whatever it was, punched through the building, and it had basically annihilated the the upstairs floor. And it was basically just empty with rubble, you know. There was still a roof on it, surprisingly, but there was no, there was, it was, so it kind of made it look like it was a balcony at the back. And I was in there and we were, had our backs to the wall. And then all of a sudden, this woman appeared in the air floating over that, that little back bit of floor. And she was like, not quite Kate Moss thin, but she was, you know, kind of skinny and like alabaster pasty white, like cream cheese white. Wow. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Um, and she was floating in the air and she had very short 
hair, like almost cropped, short, very short, you know, almost like a high and tight kind yeah. of haircut. Um, but she was female and she was naked and she had red, it was like a cross between red glowing eyes and, and eyes that were red, but almost like that kind of like um, watery demon looking eye. Okay. So she had very creepy. She was a very creepy looking chick. And she looks at me and she smiles with this menacing smile. She looks down at me and she points to the, so we'd come in through, let's see, okay, let me get it right. So the way the building was orientated, it was probably orientated sort of southeast, like the back of the building would have been pointing toward the southeast and the front of it would have been pointing toward the, or the southwest and the south, east, south, let's see, south, south, southeast, and the front of the building where we were, where the hole was, would have been like north, north. Anyway, I'm sure you can figure it out. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, and so the back where she was was up in the air. And she pointed down at the hole, which would have been pointing essentially west. Actually, that doesn't make sense because, anyway, it doesn't matter. No, I guess it would have been east. She would have been, the hole would have been to the east. Anyway, she looks at me and she sticks her arm out and she points at that hole with a very strong finger. And she goes, and there's nothing you can do about it. And I looked out. Yeah, it was like, it was creepy. And that's pretty much how she sounded. And I looked out through the hole where she was pointing and watched the Twin Towers fall. And they even fell in the right order. And just keep in mind, this was in 1999. Wow. Premonition. And when I... <laughs> it was totally premonition. Now, and, and it's weird because I kind of forgotten about the dream until after 9-11 happened. And then I remember the dream and went, oh my God. And it was, it was exactly right. The South Tower fell first and the North Tower fell second. And it's exactly what happened. And I was like, whoa. And I knew that I was on the island of Manhattan. That's huh. what I figured out. I said, it was flat with the rubble. I said, I was like, this had been New York City. This was mounds of rubble of New York City and you know, the whole thing. So uh, two years ago, I'd done this project for a production company. I built a, um, a uh, sort of like a exhibition booth uh, at Sundance for this company. And after Sundance, they decided they wanted that, uh, that display rebuilt in Manhattan, in Chelsea, for another event. So they flew me out there, and I did it again. So that was in February of 2019? Yeah, February of 2019. So I went out to do that, and then I had to go back in April, and I had to, you know, pull it out. Like, the exhibit was over, and I had to go pull it out and pack it up. So I, it just happened to work out when I was there in April that I had one day that I had a big chunk of the day <clears throat> um, free to go do whatever I wanted. I was just in Manhattan. So I went, oh, I'll go to the Metropolitan Museum of Art because it is a cool place. I've never been there before. So I'm going to go check it. So I was, you know, wow, took the, took the, the um, train up to Central Park and I walked across Central Park to the museum and then went through the museum. And they had a special exhibit going on there that was Byzantium, artifacts from Byzantium. And so I went in and like artifacts from the Near East, but from the Byzantium period. So I went in and I was just like, no, looked around and I came around a corner and there's this little display with this like eight inch tall carved figurine carved out of alabaster with red gems set in the eyes. <laughs> Oh, and it's no. female, 
it's female and it's naked. And I was, I looked at it and I went, well, that's creepy. And I looked down and it was the goddess Ishtar. It was a, it was a statue of the goddess Ishtar. And it wasn't until probably like months later that I went, oh my God, I had to go to Manhattan to see that. It was in Manhattan. I literally had to go to the place where the statue of the goddess was. And so I've had, I have those experiences. I've had, that's just an example that has, again, this is what I told you at the beginning of all this, this corroboration. I have these things that, you know, I have the thing going on here and then all of a sudden, well, even, I even had one about coming to Salt Lake. Salt Lake, you understand, most of my life I went, Salt Lake is the last place in the world I'd ever want to live. Like, I, <laughs> I, I didn't even want, I didn't want to visit here. I think that's a lot of people out there still today. Yes. <laughs> but I, um, but it's interesting that I ended up here for a wide range of reasons. And I've lived here longer than I've lived. I've lived here and in this apartment longer than I've ever lived anywhere else, including growing up. I've lived in this apartment for 13 years. <laughs> I've never lived in an apartment for 13. I've never lived anywhere for 13 years. I've lived here for 13 years. And you are part of that story. Uh, at least to a degree. Anyway, but the point is that uh, I actually had two different visions about coming here years before it happened. So far, everything in those visions have come true. The the wife that I had in LA, we ended up getting divorced, but I actually had a very clear dream about that bef- before it happened, warning me that it was going to happen, that the that that we were that the divorce was going to happen. Um, and and it was well before any indicators that there were any problems or that there okay. would be a problem. So, yes, I have had some. But, again, it's not so much <clears throat> negative. Well, it's negative only in the in regard – only in the regard that it's, you know, warnings, like letting me know that things are going to happen. The, the, the one thing that is of strange consistency to all of this is nothing – though here's what – here. It, Two things I'll, I'll, I'll put out there for you. One is there are no ordinary moments. There's no such thing as an ordinary moment. There's no such thing. If you're bored, you're just not paying attention. <laughs> there, there, are no, there are no ordinary moments. That's one. And, and two, what I've found is that everything ties into larger rhythms. I don't like the word cycles. I just say rhythms. There are these, there, there are these larger rhythms that run through things run through the current of, of lives and history and time. Like the earthquake was really the, I mean, I know now that it was clearly a sign that, you know, we were going out of business because you realize the earthquake was, uh, wasn't that, that was, was that 2020? I think it was early 2020. Yeah. It was like April or, or March but or was, something. But it was before COVID was really picking up steam. Yes. In fact, it was in March. And so, all this stuff, George, George Floyd, and I mean, everything that happened last year, all of it, that earthquake was sort of, it was a larger scale omen <clears throat> because it, it, it signaled the end of our business. It signaled, I mean, many things. In fact, when I go back, I realize that internally, that earthquake was when I made the, I made the internal decision. <clears throat> it was time, you know, that the business was going to end for a wide range. And then everything that happened in 2020 just made sure it did. But I will tell you this. I will tell you this. Yeah, go for it. Do you, do you remember uh, June 
June of 2020. Do you remember the significant events of June of 2020? Uh, you might want to remind me. I'm sure I remember. That was a crazy year. So. <laughs> well, it was. It was the. It was you know the the whole riot thing was was going on and yep. it was really building up steam. You know there were all the attacks on President Trump. I mean it was it was it was getting intense. And then with the COVID stuff on top of that, I mean it was getting intense. Yeah. When I charted out in, in 2019, when I charted out, did, I did a, a clarified charting of the, based on the, you know, the, the lunar cycle that I was telling you about. Yeah. I did a charting back to 1900, but up to 2024. And <laughs> so just, just to help you understand this, to give you a visual, I kind of define it this way. Minor stands, a minor standstill is sort of like, imagine a swell out in the ocean. It's not a wave yet. It's just a swell of water. It doesn't become a wave until it comes into the shore. And as it gets shallower, it becomes a wave, and then it peaks and it crashes, right? So just think of it that way. Okay. So a minor standstill is a swell. And as you know, with waves, there are peaks and troughs, right? A trough is the bottom between the waves, you know, the bottom space between the waves, and then you have the, the, the peaks, which are the waves themselves. So a swell has, a, there's a, you have, you have a swell and there's a trough in front of it, right? There's a, between the waves. Yeah. And there's a, obviously another swell on the other side that becomes a wave and crashes on the shore. So the one that peaks and crashes on the shore, that crests, if you will. So I, I call that, so I call it swells, troughs, and, and peaks, right? Or waves. So it's a swell, trough, and a wave. And the wave is a major standstill. So that would have been the, that would have been 1969 would have been a, a wave where 1977-78 would have been a swell and the way I'd explain it is like this a swell is a potential wave that's moving toward the probability of the potentiality of being a wave moving toward the probability of being a wave the trough in between is the transition from swell to wave which means it has to change it's a transformative the bottom of the trough is a transformative moment when the swell becomes a wave and then the wave falls through its cycle and manifests as a wave and it crashes. And that's a major standstill. So the minor standstill, then there's a trough, then there's a major standstill. Then when that wave breaks, it breaks into a trough that then starts the cycle over again. There's now another swell that comes after that. So it goes swell, trough, wave, trough, swell, trough, wave, trough. Does that make sense? Yeah. Okay. So mid-80s, later part of the mid-80s. So that's kind of how the, the cycle works. Well, just to give you a few examples, remember I said I moved to L.A. in 1998. Right. 9-11 was in 2001. 2001 was the bottom of a trough. And if you remember, 2001 changed the world. It changed everything. Yes, it did. The actual bottom of the trough was in October, but... Um, that's very close. And so the Twin Towers and all that, that's September. That's literally like, it was less than a month before the bottom of the trough. And it led to the Patriot Act and it led to all the Home Department of Homeland Security, um, surveillance of American citizens, like all this stuff happened because of that. Things that we're dealing with now, right, that are still around. I mean, the Patriot Act's gone, but the Department of Homeland Security is still here. And, the, you know, the NSA and surveillance and all that stuff. So that was... It's an extremely transformative moment. Well, and for me personally as well, because 9-11 is what basically 
began in a very serious way the end of my Hollywood adventure because all the sh- everything closed down. Kind of like this last year, right? right. Everything closed down. Film and exactly. entertainment stuff. Uh, big film projects were shelved. <laughs> it was the only time living in L.A. that it was so quiet from you know the 12th and the 13th because there was, it was a no-fly zone, so there were no aircraft, there were no helicopters, nothing. It was quiet, and it was very weird thing because you know helicopters and airplanes are constant in LA oh yeah um it's like a constant thing so the point is that we just went through uh in fact it ended in I think the middle of it actually was 2015 2016 was a swell it was it was a minor standstill and in 2018 we went out of that into a trough cycle Mm -hmm. and the bottom of that trough cycle was June of last year so we went from but because what's happening is we're going through, you can't, it's like um, you can make all the plans in the world to build a building, right? But at some point you have to execute and actually start building the building. In other words, at some point it ceases to be a plan and starts to be implemented. Something, you know, it starts, construction begins. And you have to do what? In our city, we see it all the time. You have to tear down buildings. You have to, you know, prep the ground. You have to dig things that dig holes in the ground. In other words, you have to destroy to create, right? Right. That's a pretty common thing. So if you watch, though, 2020, so much destruction, so much destruction, so many things, statues getting torn down, you know, um, uh, because, because what it tells me is that there's a major transformation going on right now. And it's it, a lot of things are being ripped asunder, as you and I are both aware. A lot of things are being ripped asunder and new things are having to come out of everything from COVID to BLM to you name it, right? I mean, it's been insanity. <laughs> Understatement, I know. <laughs> Since, you know, over, two, over 2020 and into this year, it's been insanity, unparalleled. So what ha- what's happening now, though, is that we are on our way out of the trough. And... What you're seeing is this is exact, exactly trough kind of stuff. And what's going to happen is as the trough comes to an end, which is really next year is when we, we pass out of the trough, all of this chaos is going to go away. All this nonsense that, you know, everything, and I won't go into details, but you know what I'm saying. All yeah. this insanity is going to go away. It's going to, it's going to, it's going to bleed off the new paradigm, which by the way, the next thing we're coming to is a wave, which is about things actually coming to pass, things manifesting. We're going to see all the things that people were focused on. And of course, there's a very funny part to me about all that. There are things, there are some things I will talk to you about, but not in recording, (laughs) if that's fair. No, totally fair. Um, But there are things that if you think about what happened in 2016, which was still inside of this, almost the center of it actually, 2015, 2016 was the center of this last swell. That set things in motion and it put paradigms. It made possibilities. We had things happen that were unparalleled. And then the trough came in and ripped it all apart because in order for it to actually proceed, old structures have to be had to be torn down. It just had to be. Well, and we know what a lot of those old structures are. Some of them are still being torn down, but you know, we'll figure it out. Yeah. Well, then the end of this trough really going into this wave is really, you know, out of 2022. And then so 2024 is really the middle of the next wave. <laughs> uh, 
and I'll let you just ponder that. (laughs) (laughs) I'm very entertained. I'm very entertained. Um, But anyway, so uh, that, and like I said, if you ever, if you, if you do this episode and you want to, if you end up with questions or people who watch your or listen to your podcast, have questions or you want to do a follow-up and answer some questions i'm happy to do that too cool we can I, also talk about other things because i have yeah we've we've got to get you I back have, for sure we we there's so ahead. we've got to get you back for sure we got to do more because this i know that you've got more and and it's been such a great conversation and so i i really want to we got to do more and and actually for our our instagram page um i'd love to post that that painting that you talked about when you went into the being's eye and you did the, the painting of it your most recent one um i, I want to put that up there if, if you would allow me to um just as part of the show uh, or maybe just a small snippet of it or something well what i can do is i i like i said this is the third time i've tried to do this painting the first time is probably the one because that the painting i've been working on is not finished Okay. And it's not it, it's not quite there yet. But the other one that I did that for me just wasn't quite right, but it still, you know, exemplifies it. I can share that with you, and you can put that on the page. Would, lo- would love that. That'd because be awesome. Still, yeah. And if you want, um, I can also. Uh, I'm assuming just out of your own curiosity, you'd probably like to see the message. Yes. Um, I can send you. I can send the message over to you too, so you can see that. Cool. I'd love um, to. Yeah. Well, oh. now you know all whole lot more about me than you did before <laughs> and it just all it does is make you more interesting than you already were so there we go <laughs> and 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 just for your audience you uh as you know you actually were the inspiration for a character in a screenplay that i wrote yep thank and i appreciate that that's awesome <laughs> he's he's sort of a narcissist though if i remember right he's what he's sort of a narcissistic character isn't he he is a he is a, a he's an unpleasant character, but it wasn't because of it wasn't it really wasn't because I thought that about you. No, I know. It was that I thought you could play. I thought about you playing the character, awesome. and I thought that you know you had you you looked enough like the character the way I was imagining him. So I gave him your name in the script. <laughs> I love it. I love it. So, so well, uh, you know how to get a hold of me, and I will uh, I will send those things over to you. I think the painting may actually be in instagram the, the other one okay um but i will i will i'll find a because where you, well you're gonna do it through social media right yeah okay well i will i definitely have it on my phone so i can i just want to send you a good enough file so that it looks decent on cool on social media and then uh awesome well you, raven oh. it's been oh do you have yet another thought I was just going to tell you, I was just going to tell you one thing. So uh, this was last week. I was, you will like this. I was here and I was looking out my windows and I was talking to my friend on the phone and it was daytime and there were kind of clouds to the south and I looked out and, you know, I mean, I see airplanes come in all the time because they, you, I can see the flight path of the, of the airport. But I looked out and I saw two black spheres and I watched them zip in and out of the clouds and then one of them went way to the left and then they came back together and they both went into the clouds. Wow. And they were like, you know, dull black spheres. And I literally was talking to him and I went, "Uh, what am I seeing? I said this to him, I go, what am I, I just saw two spheres go into the, fly around and go into the clouds. And they weren't aircraft. Aircraft don't do that. No, they don't move that way. That's, that's wild. That's cool. And it's weird that they were spheres instead of like discs. You know, you get discs and triangles a lot, but spheres, that's pretty cool. You get a lot of spheres.
appears in Mexico and in South America. That's right. Is interesting. What people um, report there, you get a lot of spheres, which is interesting. That is. So, well, we'll go ahead. Oh no! I just said that's really crazy. That's cool. I wish you. Uh, too bad you didn't catch it on a, on a photo or anything. But those are. It's the last thing you think of sometimes. You're just like, I'm just taking this in, you know? Well, I, and, it, and it happened so fast. Unless I had already been, you know, had my camera on and was pointing it out the window, I, there's no way I would have caught it otherwise. So, um, you know, I, it happened too fast is my point. But, well, Raven, this anyway, this this has been uh, awesome. This has been so cool. Right? This is uh, I appreciate you doing this because um, I, I just... I found it way fascinating, just all of your, and that's not even, that's just the, a small portion of what you've been through, I'm sure, so I'm, but that's, that was huge, I mean, just the, you know, the message, and, you know, the art teacher, and that they went to her, and just that whole entire thing, I'm gonna have to mull it over, and just kind of continue thinking about it, because it was so, just mind-blowing for me, but no, I appreciate you coming well, I, on, and just in explaining it. I, I appreciate you, I appreciate you inviting me to come and talk, uh, and tell the story. Yeah, no, it's been my pleasure, for sure. Um, well, hey, and whenever this is up and going, make sure I know about it, and um, I will share it through any means that I can to help uh, get exposure. Because I, I like what I like. I like your branding. I love your logo. <laughs> your logo is awesome. Thank you. But uh, um, but I like your branding, and um, and I I like your approach. Um, I could see this easily moving from being a podcast into being a video cast. Yes, yeah. not being a show. Yeah, no, that should that that is probably a plan in the future. So I, I appreciate you saying it. Yep. Okay. Well, hey, have a great rest of your evening and uh, a pleasure. And uh, like I said, I'm here. If you have questions or if you uh, want me to come back on, just let me know. Alrighty. Thanks, Raven.